On today's episode, we have Illinois Basketball Coaches Association board member and head basketball coach at Genesee High School, Brad Storm. We talked to Coach Storm about leaving and returning to a program, coaching in a small town, commuting long distances for conference games, and technology in the game of basketball. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. All right, Coach, so we're going to start off with the opening tip. Uh, we wanted to start, you know, when you were growing up and you started to think about a career path, what mm-hmm. did you originally want to be? I don't know if any of us originally started off wanting to be coaches, but, you know, what maybe what did you originally want to be? And then how did you know you wanted to, <laughs> to kind of try to be a coach? Yeah, I'll tell you, that's a that's a kind of an interesting path. I, I did not know what I wanted to be. I knew I liked science. Um, and wanted to maybe do something in the science career. I, bio, I was a biology major and environmental studies minor at Augustana um, while I was playing basketball there. And I had no dream of being a teacher. In fact, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, it was basically, you know, I want to do something else with my science degree and, and teaching was not even in the picture. Um, so I went to graduate school at Indiana, followed my uh, future wife there. That was kind of a, had opportunities to go maybe play overseas or go to a couple other different graduate schools. Uh, but she went to Indiana University for the School of Optometry. And so uh, fortunately, they had uh, something there for me. So I made the smart move and followed her there. Um, and she's kind of the one that got me on this path. Uh, I was I was working towards, um, I guess, aquaculture, fish farming type thing. I was fascinated with fish and, and liked fish and wanted to uh, kind of explore that career path. But um, after playing, I didn't realize I would miss basketball so much. Um, really had a hole. Um, with the competition and and kind of just the whole aspect of basketball and um, I was still playing pickup you know and I actually was on a really good uh, interrail team at Indiana and um, playing against some high level competition but it wasn't the same and uh, she said well why don't you coach and I said well I can't really coach and do this career and everything else she says well be a teacher I'm like uh I don't want to be a teacher so I kind of she kind of got me to uh, take a couple ed classes and tell you, I, I just kind of fell in love with it and um, it, it took a little while, a few years before I really had a passion for teaching like I did the, the game of basketball, but um, it was probably the best move I ever made. Um, I found that I love teaching and, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm supposed to retire here in three years, but um, I'm kind of, I don't really want to stop teaching. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, she was the one to help me get on that path. It definitely wasn't one I was looking to be into at any time until right there. That's, that's awesome, Coach. I, I, like, I, it's always interesting to see how people's paths go to yeah. different, different places, you know? Yeah, it definitely wasn't the, the normal route where people are like, oh, I want to be a coach or anything like that. So we want to get into a little bit, just getting to know Geneseo, kind of you know, where you guys are located, the history of your program, the, the town. Uh, I know I know a little bit about it because my father-in-law coached at Prophetstown for oh. 39 years on the girls' side. So I kind of know, I know, I know where you are. Uh, your you know, father-in-law, your father-in-law was who? Don Robinson. You're, I was just gonna say I had to be Don Robinson. That's crazy. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. Exactly. I know Don. Yeah, I know Don. Yeah. So uh, I know I know where you guys are and kind of yeah. about your program, but um, you know, give our listeners a little bit of a little history about what you guys got going on. Sure. Yeah. Well, Geneseo is um, we're located right on Interstate 80, about 30 miles east of the Quad Cities Moline area, um, and it's a it's a I guess the town itself is only about 6,000, 6,500, but we have a lot of subdivisions um, around outside of town that kind of double that. Uh, we're a school of 800 now. When I went to school there, we were 1,200. Um, so it's definitely dropped um, enrollment over time. Um, and it's a, it's a great place to raise a family. I mean, uh, my wife is from East Moline, and um, we both moved back to this area for her job after I was coaching out there already in Indiana, kind of gave that up and, uh, um, came back here for her her career um, and then I kind of started over but um, we knew that this was an area that we could uh, really enjoy raising our kids in Geneseo so um, we've I've I've taught actually I only taught at Geneseo for a couple of years when we moved back um, and I've been at Moline and and then Erie for 27 years now so um, we've lived in Geneseo a couple of different homes then we built a home north of town about 16 17 years ago and been here ever since. Well, that, and, and I'm glad Todd, uh, Todd prefaced it. He knows where it was, but I didn't right. know. I didn't fully know yes. where it was. So I sure. think I learned as much as our listeners. So. 
Um, we wanted to get into, you know, you kind of talked about your your different schools you taught at, and we're, we're going to mm-hmm. get into that later in the episode. But, you know, we okay. kind of wanted to get into, you know, you were the head coach at Geneseo, you know, you stepped yeah. down for a little bit and you came back. And, you know, we, we've talked to multiple coaches lately that have either stepped aside or taken a new job. But sure. for you, it's interesting, maybe a little bit of a two-parter. What was that experience like to tell your kids you were stepping away? And then what was it like to kind of tell the next group of kids that you were coming back? Yeah, it was, it was different. I think it was probably more different for me than it was any of the, the players or anything. Um, you know, Geneseo is kind of a unique place. It's, uh, I wouldn't say that most people would find it as a dream destination for a coaching profession. Uh, it's a really, really tough place to win a lot of basketball games. Great place to coach, great place to live, but really tough place to win a lot of games. And, you know, if you win 15 games, it's a really good season, 20 is a special season. Uh, we've won a few regionals and uh, Genesis has been to a couple of sweet 16s. We went to one with my son in 2008. Um, but those are like mythical seasons here. Um, so the competition is just really tough and, and it's a, it's a tough place. But, um, you know, I, when I taught, I came here after coaching at Erie, um, I coached here for five years and my son was graduating in 2008. And there was a couple of things that probably caused me to step away. Um, one was, um, I wanted to see him play in college. He, he went to Northern Illinois, and my daughter was going to be an incoming freshman at Geneseo, and I wanted to watch her play all her sports. And so it was kind of a selfish thing there. I wanted to um, get to experience that. Um, the other thing was I was exhausted, uh, exhausted mentally. Um, I probably didn't have the same approach that I had when I came back. Um, and it was just I needed a break. And uh, those four years off, I would never regret it. It was awesome. Um, getting to follow him around and you know when he played at Minnesota or Illinois Purdue you know places like that we could go watch him play um, and then DeKalb's only an hour and a half from here so we saw um, most of his home games one of the two of us did one was usually going to the daughter's games one was going there but um, we were used to that going up with the AAU and club volleyball and everything else so uh, it was great I, I don't regret it at all um, and I know that there was a lot of coaching I didn't miss for those four years um, I really enjoyed not coaching parts of it but as time went on, there was the, the part with the relationship with the kids, the competition aspect, and, you know, the, the fun of getting a team going from point A to B to C to D. Um, I missed those things. And it just was kind of a, a, a weird thing. The, um, when my son graduated from uh, NIU, well, actually, when he was done playing at NIU, he graduated early. But um, when he was done playing and my daughter was done with high school, that coach left in uh, July. And uh, they tried to get me to come back. And at first I said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Um, I'm kind of enjoying this. And she was going to Iowa State as a, a track and field athlete. That way I could watch her, you know, and all that. But the more they, um, they talked to me again, and uh, I was really starting to sway the other way, coming back again. And uh, they convinced me. And uh, I came back with a whole different perspective. And, uh, you know, that's what, 11 years later now, um, really enjoying it, loving it. And, uh, you know, so I think it was pretty easy for the kids to understand and people to understand that I was kind of doing it for family the first time. Um, maybe they wouldn't understand the exhaustion part, but, um, the family part and then coming back, um, most of the people were, you know, pretty happy and agreeable and uh, excited for me to come back. So that made me feel good too. So I want to build on that a little bit then, um, you talk about the relationships and the community, um, a a lot here. So, you know, uh, I've, I've learned this through my father-in-law when you you coach in a small town, kind of winning and losing gets a little bit more magnified, right? Everybody's at the game. Sure. They, everybody yeah. knows everybody, right? We're talking, they're talking about it. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a bigger deal. Um, mm-hmm. So did you find that, you know, that helps, uh, you know, kind of getting kids to get into basketball as they, as they were, as they were growing up uh, in, in the community? Cause it's such a, it, it's such a, a thing. You know, I think, I think it did um, a while ago. I'm not sure that's the same case anymore. Um, you know, I, I think it was definitely different knowing that, you know, I knew a lot of the people, a lot of people knew me, I'd played there. Um, my parents knew a lot of, you know, know a lot of the people and, and everything. It's probably hard for a, um, a mother of a coach or a wife of a coach to sit in the stand sometimes and hear things because not everybody's going to be happy or agree with what you're doing, but, or around town at the donut shop and, the, and coffee and things like that. But, um, I, I think it was it, that part of it has been great too. I mean, you're part of the community and you know a lot of people, and it's, you enjoy getting out in the community and meeting uh, some of the parents of the young kids that are at camp, and you see them running around with their camp shirt on, and you talk to the parents, and uh, I really enjoy that aspect of it too. So I try to be a, a part of the community, but 
Um, there is the negative side too. And, uh, as far as getting kids out, you know, it does seem to have changed. I think, uh, earlier in my career at Geneseo, it, it was pretty easy to get kids excited about basketball nowadays. Um, it, it's changed a little bit. And I don't know if changing conferences has had a, a play in that because we're going to a, a conference that's really hard to compete in now. Um, and kids are not really excited about that. Or if it's just, they've got so many things going on and, uh, and to be honest, when I was gone for those four years, the coach that was here did nothing with the youth program at all. And it went from we were having, you know, 160 kids at our summer camp. When I came back, we had 24 um, coming to camp. And that was hard to get that back going again. You know, parents were used to not taking their kids to basketball camp. And it just wasn't what the youth program wasn't important anymore. And um, we're still battling that. We're, we're actually revamping our youth program uh, as we speak. Um, but kind of going back to an old model, um, got a whole new board and somebody in charge of it. The next, the next coach of my or assistant coach of mine actually is kind of uh, with young kids is taking it over. And um, so I, I think we're excited about that future of it, but uh, we had to do something because we were losing kids and kids were not coming out anymore or coming out and not staying with it. Just a quick follow-up before we move on to the next question. Do mm -hmm. you feel like those same kids were finding other sports to do or just weren't being involved or what, what did you see the, in that pattern? The biggest, the biggest thing is not being involved. Um, they were actually choosing to play less sports in high school and at school of 800, that's tough. Um, yeah. you, when you lose a lot of good athletes that way. Um, and, and some of them had different reasons. They wanted to focus on baseball, wanted to focus on football, whatever. You hear that a lot. Um, they don't really focus on it in the winter, but that's their excuse. Um, but we also were getting word that, some of them are like, well, <clears throat> we're going against the Molines and Rock Islands and Quincy's and Galesburg and UT's, and they have kids that practice basketball all year long. And our kids don't can't do that. You know, they're playing three different sports. And um, we're getting word that some of them are, uh, well, we don't want to be embarrassed every time we go play one of those teams. And so it's easier to, to give in to vanity, I guess, and quit for some of them than it is to um, go out there and compete, even if you're not as good as them, go out and compete. Or better yet to try to you know improve your skills so um we've lost some numbers that way and we're dealing with smaller numbers of kids that we're trying to com uh, compete with because that's a factor apparently right now we're hoping that eventually um the newness of the big six wears off and that we rise up to it instead of shy away from it but i think these first couple of years um we've got some kids that are looking at it in a different way and uh, we, we were very successful the first year but we also had one of the best players in the state um, and Isaiah Rivera. So we competed in the big six, I think tied Rock Island for second. Um, but the last couple of years have been really tough and uh, most years are going to be that way. So we're trying to find kids that um, can kind of look at it differently and, and really want to go out and compete no matter, you know, that we're playing schools three times our size and, and kids that play basketball year round. So it's, it's funny. You're talking about the conference and, and you yeah, and I kind of talked about this. And John will agree with you on this. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, we were talking, uh, you and I were talking off air just about your conference and about your, yeah. your, the area you coach. And, and I, mm -hmm. I texted Todd off air and I said, he has a conference game that's two and a half hours away. <laughs> and yeah. um, so, you know, first maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your conference, but then also kind of take our listeners through what the experience is like to travel through the state 161 miles for a conference game. Yeah. You know, Every, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible and everything else. Well, um, from our perspective at Geneseo, our travel has gotten a lot shorter. Um, we, our conference was um, the, the net, well, was the NCIC years ago and then the NIB 12, Northern Illinois Big 12. And actually, Sterling was our closest conference game before, and that was an hour bus ride away. Everything else was an hour and a half or more. You know, we're going to Morris and Caneland, Sycamore, DeKalb, and everything. Ottawa was relatively close. LP was about a little over an hour. But um, and now Sterling's our second farthest conference game at an hour away. We do have the one trip to Quincy, which is a, a long one we can talk about. But uh, um, otherwise, we're going to, you know, Galesburg's 45 minutes away. UT's 20 minutes away. Um, Moline and Rock Island are 30 to 40 minutes away. And Allman's 35 minutes away. So um, the, the trips have really shortened things up. And I think that was a big factor for Geneseo going to that conference because um, a lot of Sports play on Tuesday nights, you know, girls play um, basketball on those nights and baseballs on Thursdays and Tuesdays or whatever. Um, so getting kids back at midnight was not ideal in those sports. Um, it hasn't been great for boys basketball, but I think it's probably been a help for a lot of 
um, other schools in ter- or other sports in terms of travel. Um, but yeah, that trip to Quincy, we almost take it, we almost look at it as a treat um, because we only have to do it once. Quincy has to do it a whole bunch of times um, and they're used to it. They, they don't mind it at all, they say. But um, for us, you know, we get the big charter bus and, and we get out of school, you know, early and, and we drive down for the two games and um, we watch a movie on the way back. So um, it's really not a bad trip. Actually, being on a charter, I'll take that over the, the hour bus ride to Sterling on a school bus with my legs all cramped in there and, and everything else. No, no doubt. Well, I, I do have a quick follow-up. What do you, what yeah. do you think, um, you know, what, what do you think are the major differences between, you know, schools that are in the small towns and some schools that are uh, very basketball rich and very basketball passionate mm-hmm. and very, you know, I, I'm using a Quincy as only because we're talking about Quincy sure. as an example, but, and then other towns that may not have that basketball richness, excitement, I guess, what, what do you think the differences are maybe just within the, the city town culture? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's a couple of probably things at play there. Um, well, one, the Western big six is the basketball conference and we're coming and we're a, a football school by tradition. Um, so that, that already kind of already sets us back a little bit. Um, those kids in those other schools play basketball and it's, a, they want to grow up being a basketball player at those schools. Um, and we're trying to get kids that, want to be football players that also can contribute in basketball. Um, the other thing is um, a lot of those, those kids in those schools, and, and I'm not trying to get socioeconomical or anything else, but they don't have the, uh, I guess, the, the means to do other things that some of our kids do. So they, they're playing basketball on the playgrounds. They're doing, you know, they're looking for things like that to do. Um, our kids, you know, playing outside is almost like, oh, no, that, that, no way we can do that. we got to have something scheduled in the gym. Um, and we're only going to do things when something's scheduled. They don't do things on their own because they're they're at soccer or they're at football or at baseball or um, they're you know doing something with their vacationing with their family. So um, I think we have other things that kids want to do as well. Um, whereas you know maybe in Rock Island or Nice Moline and Quincy, those kids they just want to play basketball and that's what they do in their off time. And um, that, that's something we just have to overcome in this conference. All right, so. We're going to take a little halftime break here. We call this halftime adjustments. We're going to get a little basketball. We're going to go basketball theory, I guess, right? Okay. Um, so you, you, you're playing a team that's big, right? You got They got six, four guys, whatever size they are, right? They got two big, the two big guys. Uh, you got a small team. Maybe you don't have anybody that can match up with them, right? Um, right. You're in the second quarter. You're, you're, you're down 10, 11, and, and you're looking at the stats and, like, this team's killing us in the paint, right? They're, they're sure. killing us. So you're like, hey, I'm going to call a timeout. Um, okay. What are some of the adjustments you're making to try to to, to combat that? You know, points in the paint dif- differential, the size, the size gap. Sure. You know, in game. Yeah. Um, well, this is a this is a common thing for us. Um, you know, again, the, usually six. They're not necessarily six four. They're six five, six six, six seven, and built like men, and or can jump out of the gym. But uh, so we we have this situation a lot. Um, so you seem to understand Genesis' situation based on that question. Uh, there's a couple of things that um, I think, well, first of all, we know we're going to be in that situation a lot, so we try to already have a plan, uh, try to how to neutralize that size difference a little bit. And if we're doing that and we're still down 11, 12, 14 points or whatever, um, you know, I guess maybe it would have been 30 if we hadn't neutralized, tried to neutralize it. But uh, we do try to do some different things. Um, I think it depends on what type of team we have at the time. Um, how deep we are, how quick we are, and things like that. Um, some, so some things that we've done maybe more specifically, um, if we have some quickness that can cause problems, we might try to change our defense, put more pressure on the offense, maybe create some turnovers before they can get inside or, or make it hard to enter the ball, harder to enter the ball, trap the passers or something to make them move it and pass it on the perimeter. Especially if we're deep, uh, we can run a lot of guys in at them, maybe press and crank things up defensively. Uh, one time I know we had uh, we were really deep and we had something called the chaos squad and their only job was to go in and create chaos um, for a little while um, and it included you know maybe one or two starters but also three subs that didn't play a whole lot but that was kind of their role and and we would try to keep um, teams from just being in their normal set and, and be able to get the ball inside easy um, another option that we, we've got that we could maybe put in or if it's an option, we can call timeout and go to this. Uh, defend the ball um, in the post a little bit more by fronting and using a weak side to play behind, uh, just trying to – and then put ball pressure on the guard. Just try to make the guards beat us, not let them throw it inside so easy and make them do something different. Uh, so use quickness and positioning to keep the ball out. 
Um, we also have something that we call fire, which is a post double. Um, we've done it different ways. And uh, so maybe we would switch to our fire defense and, and double the post again, making the, trying to make the guards beat us. The problem is that our opponents also usually have really good perimeter players. And uh, so, yeah, I guess you pick your poison if they're, they're killing you in the post and you hope that um, you can make their guards maybe uh, be a little less effective. I think when, once they have uh, really big kids, uh, Todd and Brad, and and also good guards, I think that's where you just you pray. I think that's mm-hmm. the assessment is you pray. Um, oh, yeah, sometimes right, so, the other team's just better. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so you know, Todd and I always like to tell you know our guests that you know we like to do our homework. Um, as you kind of alluded to, you're a science teacher. Yeah. I kind of did. I kind of did some background research. Um, and, and we wanted to kind of talk about for you, let, let's tie science and, uh, tie science and basketball together. What's a time where you kind of feel like you experimented with something with your team and you're like, wow, that worked. And maybe another time you experimented with the team and you found out maybe that was the wrong mix of chemicals. Oh, that, that, that latter one happens a lot, (laughs) especially when I was younger, um, probably more so. Um, cause I certainly made the mistake as a, a young coach of, uh, you know, seeing something at a clinic or whatever and deciding to put it in just because it looked like it was great or worked for that college team. So, you know, should work for us, uh, maybe changing things up a little bit too much at times, but, um, that probably over time allowed me to know better what I liked and didn't like what I was comfortable with and, and that I definitely needed to slow my roll a little bit and, and putting things in. So, um, there's been a lot of uh, things I've experimented with over time. Um, some of them have stuck or at least stuck to some degree. Um, one that comes to mind um, a few years back when we had uh, that really good uh, player. Um, he's at Colorado State now. Um, he was about 6'4 and really good in the open court. And we wanted to push the ball because teams were doing a lot of things uh, to keep him out. You know, junk, a lot of junk defenses, double teams, triple teams. Um, so we wanted to try to get some opportunities before they could get set in their in their defenses. And um, Mike Neighbors has a really aggressive offensive transition and uh, – and so we named it Razorback, and um, we really had a lot of success with that. Um, I, I think it helped us a lot. Um, and we still use it uh, on turnovers and missed shots, but we've really kind of backed off, probably taken some of their um, freedom away because we don't have quite the, the same players in the open court or shooters for that matter either. Um, so we're trying to you know, maybe use that still, but um, adapt it in different ways from year to year. Um, another one was a 2-3 zone that comes to mind. Um, you know, we knew we couldn't run it like Syracuse does. We don't have uh, those type of players, but, you know, a lot of people would love to have a defense that, that's like their 2-3. Um, but I did find something I liked from a coach in Iowa. His name was uh, L. Marshall, and I studied it. He runs it a little bit different than a normal 2-3. Um, it really helped us in 2015 to, uh, to win a regional. We were playing Dixon. They were number three in the state, and we were in this uh, championship game. It was at Sterling. So we were uh, – well, both of us were actually familiar with the court. But um, it was, so it was kind of fun. They had Isaiah Roby. Um, but we had an athletic 6'9", 235-pound All-State or two that um, really could protect the rim for us. And um, our, we ran that 2-3 zone, and it threw them off um, big time. And uh, their, their offense was just way out of sorts. Um, we hit some shots. Our big guy dominated the boards, and um, we ended up winning double figures for that regional championship. And, um, and I, I give the 2-3 zone a whole lot of credit for that um, because it worked really well. And, and we still use that as one of our – um, zone defenses. Um, we again, it's a little different when you don't have a six-nine all-stater um, in the middle, and uh, and he actually is in the NFL now. Um, he, he went the football route, but uh, um, so it, we, that helps when you have something like that. Any defense will work better when you have a rim protector. So I wanted to follow up a little bit on your transition. You, so you said you had your your great player. Where did you use him? Did you use him as trailer in that in that offense? Did no, you, we, you know, we as... used him as we used him as the racker. Um, he okay. was so good in the open court. Um, he, it, it took multiple players to, and if he got ahead of steam, you weren't going to stop him. He was getting into the lane and he was so crafty and so strong. If he didn't dunk it, he could find, you know, something, some crafty way to get a positive shot off or if they draw the help, we had some guys who could knock down some shots and, uh, um, it was, it was just really effective for us. And it, it, the teams couldn't get set in their defense. We were attacking so quick and so hard that, um, those junk defenses got neutralized. Making making it so they couldn't deny him the ball then. Right. Just, yeah. Exactly. Know, we we found him. Yeah, we got the ball in his hands. As soon, well, if he didn't get the rebound himself, which he got a lot of them, um, then we got it to him right away. And in the open court, it was 
if there was one or two guys trying to slow him down, that was a mismatch. We were we were in good shape. Yeah, we'll leave somebody else open for a quality shot, right? No question. Yeah, and it worked pretty well. All right. So in the in the same uh, uh, schooling thing, right? You have a master's degree in instructional technology. I do. Right? Let's connect basketball and technology. Um, what are some <laughs> of the ways you feel technology has helped the game of basketball, but then I firstly uh-huh. may have all may have hurt the game of basketball. Um. Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. My first master's was instructional technology. I'd say the technology that we used back then is now obsolete, but the, the concept of using technology in education has still been helpful. Um, in terms of basketball, I mean, it, it's so different now. Um, you know, I, I think back to when I first started coaching and everything was done um, typed up or um, and drawn out plays, you know, on scouting reports and everything else and, and VHS tapes and, um, those big old cameras, if you went scouting, you had those big old cameras set up on a tripod and, uh, and now it's just so different. So the technology aspect, um, has really changed over time and I've gotten to see a lot of it in 30 some years, but, um, it's definitely helped in a lot of ways. Uh, the scouting aspect is incredibly easier. Um, I remember leaving my young family a lot to go travel because I, when we scout, I wanted to do a lot of scouting and I obviously sent other people too, but. Um, I went a lot and uh, missed a lot of time at home with the family. And, and now, um, you know, in our conference, we have um, we share all, every conference game film is shared with every coach. And um, you're able to get films just by an email a link. And uh, it's so the scouting has been cut probably 90, 95 percent on the road to uh, being at home. And um, the other thing is the, obviously the huddle stats and things like that. Um, I, I'm. I like the analytics stuff, but I'm not really into them heavy. I'm still kind of, I guess, feel like after I've done this so long, I don't need um, halftime stats to tell me what's going on in the game. I pretty much have a good feel for uh, where, where they're hurting us and, and what we're not doing well. But uh, after the game, I don't mind looking at some of the stats. There's way more there than I want to get into. Um, you know, I'm a science teacher, but not a stats, stats teacher. And uh, there's things on there that, you know, I try to figure out what they mean. I'm like, eh. I, I've gone all these years without knowing. I can go <laughs> these last years without knowing too. But um, there are some things on there that I really enjoy. Um, the, the lineup thing intrigues me. I really like looking at the different lineups. That by halfway through the year, you get a pretty good feel. And uh, between that, the lineups part, and, and just the stats that you can um, show the kids really easy. You know, film and stats don't lie, and uh, they really kind of help you maybe get a point across to some kids. Um, that this is this is what's happening you know you may see it differently and they usually do um, but this is what we're seeing and this is what the stats are showing us and these are the lineups that are working and you know when you're in the lineup you're really, we're doing a lot better we're, when you're in the lineup you know we you might be scoring but our, we're not doing so well um, so we got to figure out why that is and and adjust so um, those things I think have really helped in terms of hurting um, I don't know I, some I, some coaches maybe rely on certain stats too much to give them um, indicators of how to sub or um, who to play and so forth. And, and I guess I'm, like I said, I'm still more on the, the gut feeling old school type um, where I, I don't rely on that, but I can see where that could be a problem maybe for some people. Um, another positive is, man, if you want some information, you can find information out there anywhere. Um, I, I love the live clinics. I mean, I, I, I get stuff out of the live clinic that I could never get out of um, watching a stream or a DVD or anything, but, but I definitely make use of, uh, the internet and DVDs to uh, to learn more about the game too. So, coach, you're saying you didn't enjoy traveling to exchange tapes with the other coaches? Oh, lord! Um, there was, you know, the scouting's bad enough, but exchanging the VHS tapes or eventually the DVDs, uh, you know, you'd travel hour, hour and a half. Always, everybody's got always got good stories. I went to a coach football <laughs> a football game one time, and they that was they thought I was a young guy coming, and they're like, "Oh, we don't have any film for you. Will you just give us ours?" I'm like, "Nope, turn around." <laughs> Oh, oh, right yeah. yeah, I've had some empty trips too, where the coach forgot we were supposed to meet um, before cell phone days, you know, and uh, and uh, they're supposed to meet. And no one was there. No one was there, and so finally left. Oh yeah, I forgot. Or well, uh, one of the most frustrating stories I remember um, wasn't mine. It was actually my former coach, Mike Kiss. Um, he was driving up to Chicago to exchange a tape with Sonny Cox at King, and uh, and he blew him off. He got all the way up there and got blown off, and. Uh, you know, so things like that are – I'm glad I don't do those anymore. 
Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to hit on something you said too before I moved on. It's um the the lineup the lineup feature is great because I think mm-hmm. you can really see trends, you can really see um, you know, that VPS number, all the good divided right. by all the not so good. And and I yep. do think it adds an element of, you know, okay, this kid might have these, you know, main points, rebounds, assists, great mm-hmm. stats, but then you look and the VPS number is very low. So I I, I agree right. fully when you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. Um, our, you know, the kids having the access to huddle too. That I'm not sure that them seeing all their stats and VPS and all that stuff is always such a good thing either. Because um, I've heard some conversations. Well, your VPS is only blah 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 or whatever. Um, so you know, that's a, maybe a culture thing we need to address. But um, so I, I think there's a lot of great information there. But there's just maybe too much to make me think more. You know, to second guess myself, and I'd rather just kind of uh, go with what I'm seeing and feeling. Yep. Um, so I wanted to go into a little bit of something unique for you, uh, okay. as you coach at, or as you coach at Geneseo, but you, you know, you kind of talked about teaching at Erie and uh-huh. Erie is a very small school. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I wanted to hit at for you, you know, what are some of the unique things about <laughs> teaching at a school that that's so small? I, I'm sure, you know, everybody knows everybody, but maybe yeah. what are some oh, of yeah. the good and maybe what are some of the not so good? Yeah. Not only do they know everybody, a lot of them are related to everybody, so you really got to be careful. Um, I tell you, I, I'm really fortunate to be at Erie. Um, it's not, it's not the ideal teaching. It's not ideal teaching there and coaching at Genesee by any means. Um, but I'm in a great situation at Erie, and everybody says, "Well, why haven't you left Erie and um, you know gone back to Genesee or taught somewhere else or whatever?" And uh, it, it's not your typical small, uh, small rural school. Um, I figured maybe it'd be one of those multiple stopping points on a career you know trajectory or whatever um but when i got there i realized pretty quickly it's a pretty special place um there's when i there was about 300 when i coached there now we're down to 200 or even a hair under um and you think we'd be really limited but that's a very wealthy district um, in terms of money coming into the district um we've got a nuclear plant and 3m and and everything else a lot of the people that live there aren't wealthy and and, you know there would be I guess, considered in the, in the lower economic area, but um, the district itself is very wealthy. Um, and we have good kids overall. Um, despite the decrease in size, we added onto the high school, including a new STEM room for me with uh, pretty much a blank check to fill it with 3D printers and laser cutters, computers, uh, augmented reality, and virtual reality machines. Um, we're building a new elementary um, and they're just gonna write a check for it. There's no other, they're just gonna write a check for the whole new elementary building. Um, I, I want to say there's maybe 27 million in the bank or something right now. It's crazy. Um, so we, we get almost whatever we want and the clientele is good and, and they let you do a good job and that we do a good job. We're, uh, the last rankings I saw, um, we were number two behind Pleasant Valley, Iowa in this area for education. Um, and we're all, our scores are always among the highest. And, um, so it, it's just a great place to teach. You know, my class sizes range from under 10 to at the most I've had is 20 and usually it's less than that. They've capped um, like my STEM classes at 15. So um, there's a lot of really good reasons why, uh, why I haven't left Erie um, in terms of teaching. Um, it's just great people that want to do a great job and, and they put a big value on education. So, uh, and it's only a 20 minute drive um, to and from school, which is actually a nice, a nice time to, um, you know, either reflect or listen to a podcast or think about practice or um, just kind of get my mind on what we're going to do in class that day. So it works out really well for me outside of not being in school with my kids. That That's one thing that I really uh, wish I could have. All right. So I want to transition to another organization. You're part of the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Yeah. Two-part question, two part question here. Um, first of all, why is it important to be a part of associations like that, whether our listeners are in Illinois, Iowa. Yeah. Iowa has a great association. Yeah, they do. Maybe Indiana, you know, all those great yeah. associations across the country. Why is it important to be a part of those associations? Um, well, for me, I mean, I remember wanting to be a part of it when I first, I mean, I, I saw, I guess I started coaching in Indiana and I saw how strong their association was. I went to um, uh, uh, their Illinois or Indiana clinic out there and was just in awe. And uh, so, I, I joined their association immediately when I became a head coach out there. Um, and then when I came to Illinois, instantly wanted to do that again. I just felt like, um, you know, the, the, they do such good things. 
to be a part of that in any way I can, even if it's just the financial support of joining and not doing, getting anything out of it. I thought that was important, but then uh, the things you get out of it um, make it even more valuable. And, and I know at the IBC, I've been probably involved for probably 25 years or so um, started out serving as a, a 1A, 2A when I was at Erie um, on the all-star selection committee. I, I, I remember writing Chuck Wolitsky a letter saying, I'd like to get involved and, um, he contacted me and, and, you know, I just kind of went from there. And um, now I'm co-chair of the statewide clinic and that's coming up here soon. Um, if I can plug for that. And then uh, I'm also the chairman of the 3A4A All-State Selection Committee and uh, currently third vice president. So in a few, you know, five years or so, I'll get to uh, um, be the president of this organization. So I obviously I feel strongly that it's a good organization and want to be a part of it. And I think anybody... Um, can gain from being a part of it, but just just to financially even support it for all the good things that we do is, is um, you know, I think is a positive. So second part, then you you hit right on it, the, the All-State Selection Committee, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I wanted you to talk about just what a little bit, a little bit that goes into that, uh, you know, obviously I've never experienced, but I feel like it's probably, it's probably kind of a hard thing to be on, right? Because you got you know, you got so many talented players that you have to choose from and figure out, you know, then on top of that, you have probably naturally as a human, you have your biases by players you've seen sure. Or, sure. or whatever. So maybe take us through a little bit of that process and, and how you guys go into picking those all state players. Yeah, I tell you, it, it is, it is quite a process. Um, I started out as a member, you know, representing our district on the committee um, before I became the chairman. And as a chairman, I don't vote or anything. I just kind of run the meeting and, and get all the information organized and ready for the, the committee to vote, um, which which doesn't seem like, it. you know, it's not a big deal for me except for the month before this meeting. That, and, of course, that's when we're gearing up for regionals and everything else. So that gets thrown on my plate. Um, at that time and that that is quite a bit of work um, and it's a hassle and and everything else but I I think it's really worth it but basically it works in such a way that um, coaches well we our district reps are supposed to contact every coach in their district and ask them for nominations Um, our coaches are also um, supposed to uh, be watching you know players in their area and players they go against for uh, comparison when we discuss players and stuff, but uh, we end up getting all these nominations sent in. I organize them onto the 3A and 4A. Coaches kind of say, well, I think this one could be a one first or second teamer, or this one's a second or third teamer, or, or this one that, you know, might be a special mention type thing. So we kind of get an idea of that going in. Um, but it's definitely not set in stone by any means. So we come in and all, we all meet. Um, this is about a five and a half hour meeting um, where we start. Uh, we'll say we start with the 4A and we'll have the, the kids nominated for first team up there and every coach will go around and discuss the players in their district. Coaches that know those players will discuss them. We'll talk about comparisons, things that they've done and, and you know, things like that. And then there'll be a vote and certain the top ones will be on first team. The others go to the second team ballot and we go through the whole process again and again and again. And um, we, we have reps on our uh, committee that are really good about saying um you know this this kid is nominated for second team he should be on first team ballot so we would move a kid around or discuss him that way or this kid's nominated for first team and he's he's not as good as most of the ones nominated on second team and we'll discuss that you know it's not a one person uh thing that we go with it and it gets discussed and between all the coaches we have most of these players have been seen by just a handful or to many of the coaches on the uh, on the committee and uh, the first team's easy. That's usually the no-brainers, you know, the ones that are going to Duke and, and things like that. And everybody knows that they're great. When you get to that second and third team and stuff, sometimes you're splitting hairs, especially in the, the 4A. Um, and so it's really tough. Uh, and then 3A, you know, we go through the whole process again. So it's a grueling day, especially on, on my part where I have to um, kind of run the meeting through the entire thing. And I'm just exhausted by the end of that, that day. And uh, uh, But – I feel really good. We, I think we have a, a good product we put out. I think we put out a legit um, all-state team that doesn't take into account um, media biases or, um, you know, regional biases or anything like that. And um, I, I, I think it's something that's been important to me. I don't know how long I'll keep doing it, um, especially if I, you know, as I become president or something like that. Um, we might try to find someone that can, that I feel would do a good job, hand it off to them. But um, right now I, 
I enjoy doing it. And I think it's a worthwhile part or a big thing for the IBCA. So uh, I take a lot of pride in it. So you mentioned that you're the co-chair for the statewide clinic, which is mm-hmm. for our Illinois listeners, which is coming up. Um, yes. Todd and I will actually be attending the, the awesome. clinic as well. Um, but, uh, do you just want to maybe just for our Illinois listeners, maybe just throw in a quick plug, you know, when it is uh, a little, yeah. Later. Um, it's, it's coming up, uh, Sunday and Monday, the 18th and 19th of September. Um, uh, we start at noon, I believe on uh, that Sunday and we go all throughout the day. There's a great social, um, it's been at the firehouse and I think we're still going to have it at the firehouse. Um, all the drinks and pizza you want. Um, and then we go with three more speakers on Monday morning and, um, we're still finalizing who and when and everything else, but, um, man, I, the lineups that we've put out there for, for coaches in the past, I think has been outstanding. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes you get speakers, well, I, I don't know who that is or whatever. And, uh, but we get speakers that put out great content and, and coaches come away every year with, um, feedback that's very positive. So we're happy to get back to a two day clinic after a few years of not having one or just a one day again. Um, so it's, a, uh, it's something that, um, Tom Sigel and Rich Seslowski and I are pretty much in contact every day. Um, and then we've got a couple other guys that are on the committee that are helping us try to get some coaches and things like that. But, um, this time of year gets a little hectic. We start panicking a little bit. Oh, we're going to get this guy, that guy. We're still waiting on some commitments from coaches and we're only a few weeks out. So, um, tomorrow is a, a, a day I'm expecting a yes or no from a couple different coaches. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so we, we wanted to transition to our last two segments. Um, the, okay. the first one we call 30 second timeout. Um, it's kind of your opportunity to talk about whatever you want, whether it be, um, your program or your family sure. or something else besides basketball you're passionate about, or turn the tables on Todd and I, and ask mm-hmm. us a question or, you know, <laughs> however you want to drive it. The, the next segment is kind of yours. Okay. Um, well, we already plugged the IBCA clinic, so I don't need to do that. But I would say that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, going to a live clinic is something that gets my juices going. Um, talking with other coaches, just being around others who are excited to get the season going. Um, and, you know, and the Sunday Night Social is fun. There's other satellite clinics that we, the IBCA has as well. I just I think a lot of young coaches miss out on what you get from a live clinic that you can't get from streams or a DVD. And um, I, I remember like I said, that first clinic I went to, it was just, I was blown away. And, um, I try to get to as many live clinics as I can, um, just because I get something out of it that I can't get from, from anywhere else. It's just kind of hard to explain. So I would encourage coaches to go. Um, it's real, we make it really affordable for coaches to attend and, and you get more, way more than the, that out of it. So, um, the other thing I would say, um, I don't know, you know, lots of coaches and maybe some listening will find themselves in situations where it's really hard to win at the school they're at. Um, all three schools that I've been head coach at were that way. And I've obviously chosen to be at those schools, you know, even if it wasn't originally the plan. Um, I've turned down some, uh, on one job in particular where it could have been a lot of wins. And, uh, um, but it just wasn't right for me. Um, you know, winning's great. And winning can be important and we keep score for a reason. And I'm definitely competitive and want to win. Uh, but I would say know that, um, What's more important is that you give everything you can to your players um, and your students and, and to, to grow them and give them a great, valuable experience. Um, there's a lot of great coaches in our Hall of Fame who won a lot of games being at schools with a lot of talent. And unfortunately, there's a lot of coaches who might even be better coaches who will never win as many games uh, because of where they coach. And, and I would say be okay with that as a, as a young coach. Uh, be the best you can be wherever you currently are. And um, if you choose to move on to uh, – schools that regularly have more talent and that's awesome uh, but every player uh, deserves to have a caring hard-working knowledgeable coach um, and the profession needs a lot of good young coaches who will stick with it I know we're losing a lot of coaches so um, kind of know your why and it's got to be other than wins and awards and, and things like that um, it, it can't be about you I think that was one of the problems that I had before I retired for those four years and, and my new perspective coming back um, it's more about the kids and, and things like that and um, if you do that, you're going to have a great career choice. You're going to love the profession and you're going to uh, enjoy what you're doing and you're going to reap a lot of rewards that uh, aren't financial. All right, let's go to our, our last segment here. Quick hitters, rapid fire. Okay. Uh, random questions kind of about you, about whatever. All right, first one. Yeah. Um, Geneseo High School is the Maple Leafs. What's the story behind that? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we get asked that and – 
why is it grammatically incorrect and not the leaves? But uh, um, the, the only, yeah, like we're like Toronto that way, I guess. But the only thing that um, I've ever heard, and it makes sense, our town has a, a ton of maple trees. Um, and it always has. Hey, used to have a lot more before um, some got destroyed for a, a new road. But um, And so the town has been called Maple City for as long as I know. Um, and there's all kinds of businesses that are Maple City this and Maple City that. So um, the only thing that has ever made sense that I've ever heard is that uh, the area had so many maple trees that we were the Maple Leafs. And, uh, you know, it's not the uh, most ferocious name out there, but um, we tell the kids, you know, they might make fun of our name before the game, but after the game, they knew they were in a battle. So um, it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, there, there probably are names out there that have, want to have less than Maple Leafs even. So we're okay. <laughs> that's awesome it's a little bit more yeah. simpler than you thought right it's yeah yeah awesome. as far as all i right. know that's all it is <laughs> all right next one you mentioned you played in intramurals at indiana was yeah. there ever a time where like a ringer showed up and you're like what is what is this guy or, or, or a pickup game you've played in where like you're like wait who's that you know all the, all the find out later yeah um there was there, the talent there was it was you know i played at augustana and when i went to grad school that the talent drop off at some intramural games was wasn't there um we had indiana all-staters that weren't playing basketball in college or going to school in indiana uh, we had um the football players coming and playing pickup games and stuff in fact uh um I, my wife was at township school they put together a a, a team and you only know, you think i township students so that can't be any good um but we had two other players who played um division three basketball another who played junior college um and some other good athletes and uh, one year we actually won the entire intramural tournament. Uh, and I think there was something like 500 and some teams entered and we were the champions. And uh, we had to beat the dorm champions in the semifinal and the football team in the championship game. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they, and they pulled, there's bleachers pulled out. There's hundreds of people there watching. There's a trophy um, at Indiana, anything basketball is a big deal. So um, I actually uh, really enjoyed that. So yeah, there was a, it was a great competition. Every time you went to the hyper building to, to play some basketball and then in that intramural tournament uh, the deeper you got you were going against some quality college level competition when you were playing only in indiana right um, yeah it, it's crazy out there so for you um maybe uh an underrated place to eat or or okay. go to or somewhere yeah. in geneseo um you know almost everywhere we're fortunate almost everywhere here is pretty good or great and a lot of people have their favorites. So if you were to say, tell someone, well, I think that place is underrated, they say, oh, no, you know, we, we eat there all the time. We love it. So it'd be hard to find a place that everyone could agree on is underrated. But um, there's a couple that I would come to mind, I guess. There's a little tiny Chinese restaurant in the uh, strip mall, kind of out by the Interstate 80 on the south side of town. That um, If we want Chinese, we go there. Um, it's really good. And it's, it's called New China. And uh, like I said, you would, you'd drive past it and not even think about stopping in there. But um they're Chinese as good as anywhere we've had. Um, there's another place. It's not really in Geneseo. It's actually out more by our house. So we use it quite a bit. Um, it's a uh, kitchen in a convenience store called the country store. And um, there's a bar attached to it called the way station that uh, the country store cooks for because um, of the same owner, but man, they have some really good food. We order out from there um, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that when you tell them the food, there's really great. They're, they're just like, what? And uh, so we're fortunate to be about a mile and a half from them down the road. And uh, we call them quite often. All right. Next one. Favorite ice cream flavor. When I was a kid, it's butter brickle. And uh, I don't see that very often anymore. I, I probably should hunt it down because uh, I know they still make it. Um, but I'm really not picky. Uh -huh. But I, I would have to say butter brickle just because that was what I always wanted. Uh, we had a Schwann's truck that would drive up to our house when I was on the farm when I was a kid. And, and whenever we got butter brickle, I was thrilled. Now I, now I want to try butter brickle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's a, it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. It's in summer. You don't have much going. That You're watching TV. Would you rather watch baseball or golf? Oh, baseball. I, I don't golf um, and I don't watch it. Um, I can enjoy a peaceful game of baseball, typically, especially if my team's playing. But, of course, then I might not be so peaceful if my team, I get upset or something. But uh, um, I, I would choose baseball over golf. Lead us right into the next question. What, I was going to say. What's, what's, what's your team? Uh, we, we, have, we, have, we have it on here, but we're, we're going to guess. You never, you never know because 
I like I was oh, that my way. Hat. So, oh, you got Boston. Okay, I saw that. Yeah, okay, yeah. there you go. Uh, yeah. And where you're at, it's kind of an interesting baseball area because sure. you can't see a lot of games from right. Kansas City, even right. uh, the Cardinals, the Cubs, because Iowa doesn't hardly get any of those games a lot right. of times. Sometimes they're blacked out. So you're a Boston guy. I am. Yeah. I mean, Cubs and Cardinals. You know, that, that's big around here. And if I between those two, I would pick the Cubs probably. My dad rooted for them. My wife grew up with a father who was a big Cubs fan, so she likes them. But, um, but yeah, since 1975, uh, I was an impressionable 10-year-old kid. Uh, the Red Sox were playing the Reds in the World Series, and ever since then, they've been my team. And, um, you know, I don't really watch much NFL or root for any pro football team. Um, in the NBA, I watch it more as a coach than a fan. But I, I, another, I guess, decision I stuck with uh, as a kid was the Denver Nuggets. But uh, – the Red Sox are my pro team passion and uh, but since 1975 and that's, that's kind of who I've wrote the highs and the lows with and uh, kind of, uh, you know, like most fans that they're into a team, you, you live and breathe every pitch sometimes. Well, coach, we, we can't, can't thank you enough for, for joining us here uh, on, a, on a, a beautiful Sunday. It looks like in your background. Yeah. It looks like yeah. Stay there. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the clinic. Uh, we'll, we'll yeah, I look forward to seeing you there too. Seeing seeing a bunch of other our coaches. Um, it was it was an awesome awesome episode, and we got to learn a little bit more about Geneseo. And, That's right. Yeah. And Stop on down. Some of the stuff 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 you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really appreciative and and humbled to be a part of this. Uh, what you're doing is great, and uh, happy to help out and be a part anytime you want. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.